Well, we begin a new theme this month, as Mary shared, our theme of abundance and sufficiency. I wrote a reflection in the newsletter about how those two words are intertwined for me. The idea of sufficiency as enoughness, and perhaps the experience of abundance in what might be seen as non-abundant situations, that sense of enoughness, of sufficiency. And then in our wonderful story this morning, we heard about finding abundance in having only enough, or perhaps experiencing sufficiency in material processions and abundance in everything else, in love, in life, in joy, and in gratitude. Our story from this morning is a favorite of mine and of my daughter's. Just before Platform started, she whispered to me across the hall, It's the Quiltmaker's gift today! <laughs> Which I knew, actually. But <clears throat> and really, the idea of abundance is a favorite of mine. I think that's why I love the story so much. So planning for this Platform address, this kind of opening reflection on the theme, I had a lot of ideas. I wanted to talk about abundance in our personal lives, what it means to live an abundant life, how that's tied to happiness and joy and fulfillment. I wanted to talk about abundance in our national politics, how we vote our values of abundance, what it looks like if we build a country based on the idea of abundance rather than scarcity. Then I wanted to talk about abundance in loss and defeat, knowing that Tuesday will surely bring a mix of what we perceive as triumph and defeat, and that in this room we may have different perceptions of what that would look like anyway, and to examine how we find abundance still, how we find abundance when things don't go our way. And then maybe a little bit more about the abundance of our king from the story about the joy of being and giving over and above the pleasure of having or buying or consuming. So, I hope everybody has a couple of hours to settle in. It was kind of an overabundance of ideas, which is actually not really a good thing when you come right down to it. And so I thought for a while about how they all tie together, why I had all of these different thoughts about abundance and what they meant together as a kind of package, why that story is so moving to me. And what it came down to for me is the idea that abundance is a deep, spiritual virtue. You know, some of the themes that we talk about on our monthly theme rotation are things that we have to grapple with in in our lives. Last year, we looked at death, uh, for instance. Some of them are ideas that are central to our movement. Coming up this spring is the theme of science and reason. And sometimes they are what I would call spiritual virtues or ethical virtues, something that we strive to live that we seek to have be a part of our deepest selves. I've heard a lot of sermons and platforms over the years, as you might imagine. I've given a lot, too, but I've heard a lot, and some of them stick with me. There's one from Rob Hardy's, the minister at All Souls, um, that he gave at at the Unitarian Universalist General Assembly, the big national gathering, And, and I think the title was Born and Reborn Again. 
It was essentially about how those of us with progressive faith, with a liberal faith, can have our lives changed by that faith. The title came from the idea, sort of the the evangelical idea of being born again, and then the response within the rationalist movement, which are these bumper stickers that say born right the first time. And... um, (laughs) Which, you know, has its appeal, but what Rob was saying that was indeed we're we're born and born again and born again and reborn, that we are always engaged in our own transformation, that that few of us actually did get born exactly right the first time, although maybe you're one of those, and if so, congratulations. (laughs) Rob used a story in that sermon, and that's what I remember the most, a story from the Desert Fathers in very early Christian communities. There were fathers and mothers, desert fathers and mothers, who lived in the desert, mostly by themselves, although sometimes in small communities. And there's a story that I really love. That's, and here it is. So it's told as told by Thomas Merton. Abbot Lot, that's one of the fathers, came to Abbot Joseph, another father, and said, Father, according as I am able, I keep my little rule and my little fast, my prayer, meditation, and contemplative silence, and according as I am able, I strive to cleanse my heart of thoughts. Now what more should I do? So this is a question we all have, right? I try, I try to you know, live an ethical life, I try to do the right thing, what more should I do? The elder rose up in reply and stretched out his hands to heaven, sorry, heaven, I think was where it would be, And his fingers became like ten lamps of fire. He said, why not be totally changed into fire? Well, it's good for Abbot Joseph to say, you know. (laughs) But what am I talking about fire for, or the Desert Fathers, for that matter? You know, every single one of us has values. We can articulate them. And I think what moved me so much about this story was the idea that ethical culture and Unitarian Universalism, the tradition that Reverend Hardy's was speaking from, that that those values can be just as core, just as integral to our lives, how we act and live within those lives, as any other religious tradition. Within our tradition, we are encouraged to search for those values individually and to live them in community. But sometimes that individual searching can convince us that they're not that central to who we are. You know, they're just any old values that you might, like, find on the sidewalk or something. But the truth is, we can be just as serious. We, too, can be changed into fire by those values. And so what I'm thinking about right now in terms of abundance is the idea that it can be a guiding principle for us one that has the ability to help us direct our own lives. When we live from that place, that kind of deep place of of connection to our values, all kinds of things happen in our lives and in the world around us. So I want to return to all those topics I said I was going to talk about, because I am going to talk about them all, actually, lucky you. But I find that really at their core, they're all about living a spiritually and ethically rich life. In our personal lives, abundance is about noticing what we have and about believing that it is enough. For most of us, this is literally true in a material sense. We literally have enough food to eat. We have enough clothing to leave the house. We have enough stuff. In fact, possibly we have more than enough 
stuff. Now, I don't want to diminish or overlook that for some of us, that is not the case. And to understand that the value of abundance can be difficult to see and articulate when, living, when you are living with literally not enough of basic necessities. But I don't think it's impossible, and we'll return to that later. In many ways, the story this morning has already said what I would want to say about the personal experience of abundance, about what abundance looks like in our own lives. Embellished, perhaps, with the song from Annie Get Your Gun, got no diamonds, got no pearls, still nobody, still I think I'm a lucky girl, I got the sun in the morning and the moon at night. <clears throat> so between that and the story, we're sad. What about in our nation? Some of you may have noticed that there is an election coming shortly. Talk about an overabundance of robocalls, of pundits, of election-related mail coming to your door in giant packages. But how else does abundance play out in the election? First, I want a note, because I'm often asked, anytime I talk about something political, can we even talk about the election here? And so I just want to make sure that you all know, you know, religious institutions have special rules about them, and they have a special role as well. What we can do is talk about values, and we can talk about specific position statements. We can never talk about particular candidates. And I always invite us to remember that during the community sharing as well, if we can. And I never want to assume that we all share the same thoughts on candidates or even on position statements, because it's just not the case. We've got a diversity of opinion in this room and in our community as a whole. Although there are some positions that we do take a stand on as a congregation. As you walked in, if you came in from 16th Street, you saw a big sign supporting question six in Maryland, which is the marriage equality question. And I would say, actually, that we as a religious community, we're not only allowed to talk about some of those values, but we're remiss if we don't talk about the values behind those positions. My colleague, Paige Getty, who's the minister at the UU Congregation of Columbia, Maryland, uh, spoke recently, uh, gave a sermon called Being a Values Voter. She was reflecting on, remember in 2008 and earlier, all of the values voters, and, and she was really kind of grappling with that term and talking about how she too was a values voter, although she wasn't the kind of values vo voter that some of the pollsters and pundits met, meant back, back in those days. I love what she says about her values, and I'll quote here. Compassion, justice, equality, peace, liberty for all. These principles call us to think of our fellow humans' needs and not only our own. They urge us to cultivate a world that is compassionate, equitable, fair. They urge us to be generous with one another. They urge us to promote a world community, not an isolationist, nation-centered one." End quote. And I would add today abundance, abundance as a spiritual value, an ethical value, and as a social principle. As someone who has been given rather a lot in life, I see part of my role in the national framework as giving back. And more, I see that as part of our social contract in America, the contract that we have with each other as a nation. And so I want to see an America where we act out of a sense of abundance, where that sense of abundance creates a desire to share. <clears throat> There are two important questions in Maryland this year. Well, there's actually a bunch of important questions, but I'm only going to talk about two. 
And with both of them, I see abundance as central. Fairness, equality, a chance at life, those are part of the picture too. But abundance, the idea that there is enough love to go around, enough education to go around, that we don't have to hoard the resources or hoard the civil rights, whatever that means, but that we can share them freely and that, in fact, we must share them freely. Question six, I've mentioned already a question about marriage equality in Maryland. You know, this congregation has been working to be an inclusive and welcoming congregation to LGBTQ folks for many, many years, and we're now engaged in an intentional process around a certification in that. And we've been working on marriage equality in D.C., which we won, check, and now in Maryland, supporting civil rights for all people. So I'm just going to skip over question six, but, you know, vote yes. <clears throat> I want to say a little bit more about question four in Maryland, which is the DREAM Act, because we haven't had as much conversation about that as a community. Although this congregation has had a long relationship with communities in El Salvador, we have a sister community now in El Rodeo, and we've certainly learned from those folks about sufficiency and abundance, about living a life of abundance. The DREAM Act has the potential to touch lives of the children of many of the people that we know from El Salvador, children of Maryland brought here without documentation by parents, but growing up here in Maryland, going to school in Maryland, public schools, the DREAM Act would give them the chance to pay in-state tuition to Maryland schools. It doesn't guarantee them admission to those schools or anything. They have to apply just like anyone else. But it would mean that the tuition they pay would be in-state rather than out-of-state. Maryland, you know, is a pretty wealthy state. And so for me, this is about abundance, about whether or not we have enough to share Another colleague, Evan Keeley, who serves Cedar Lane uh, in UU Congregation in Bethesda, Maryland, said, and I quote, all of us, all of us stand to benefit when hardworking people are given the chance to make a contribution to society. An investment in education, which is what the DREAM Act is, is an investment in the betterment of society, end quote. So for me, it's the idea that sharing abundantly leads to more abundance, that's what the DREAM Act means for me. You know, it's just about education. The DREAM Act, it doesn't do anything to anybody's immigration status. That, that, that has to do with a national conversation, but not the conversation in Maryland right now. But it does tie in for me to those deeper values, the desire for America to be a country of abundance, a country where our welcome is abundant and it's giving and free and wide. So that... That sense of abundance is why I will vote yes on four on Tuesday. And I invite you to think about abundance as you consider how you'll vote on that and on other questions. Abundance is being behind a voting initiative spearheaded by the Washington Interfaith Network here in D.C., calling D.C. residents to sign up as Washington Interfaith Network or win voters Voters who believe in affordable housing and good jobs and training for those jobs for D.C. residents in education for all of the children of D.C. in every neighborhood in D.C. Who believe that the city is not just a city for some but for all, that there is enough in this city, that we can create enough to support all of our residents. And, you know, remember how I said it was hard to appreciate abundance when you don't have enough of your own basic needs met. Well, for me, voting and acting and agitating from a place of abundance means believing that we can create a country, a world where basic needs are met, where I notice the abundance I already have 
realize I could actually probably live with slightly less abundance and share freely so that others may have their needs met abundantly. It's like that old bumper sticker I saw when I was growing up. Live simply so that others may simply live. And I would say live abundantly or see that simply and abundantly may be the same thing. I know some of you have already voted. Good job. I hope the rest of you will vote soon by Tuesday. And then by Wednesday, we all really hope the election will be over. There will still be plenty of opportunities to act and to agitate from a place of abundance, but this vote, at any rate, will be passed. And so we will be elated, despondent, surely some combination of those two things. There are so many ballot initiatives all across the country this year. So many people in this room, and all of us will be something, but probably not absolutely thrilled with everything that is announced on Wednesday morning. And then what? How does abundance help us then as individuals or as a nation? After an election, after a hurricane, after anything in life that has the power to destroy the very foundations on which our lives rest. Deep within abundance, I think, is hope. Faith. A belief that there is enough, that there will be enough, that if you don't feel it's enough in this moment, it will become enough. At our Seder every year, and in fact, at at really every Seder, we sing a song, Dayenu. I had a great conversation a couple of years ago with a member of Wes and then with a rabbi friend about the meaning of that word, Dayenu. It means it is enough, it is sufficient. And it's sung after each verse in the song, traditionally thanking God for every step of the Israelites' journey out of Egypt. We usually sing it for every step of peace or justice or the civil rights march, um, a long march of civil rights in our country. And each time we sing, it is Dayenu, enough. Just getting to the edge of the Red Sea, it is enough. Just crossing the sea without taking one more step anywhere, it is enough. Just wandering with no hope of finding the promised land, that's enough. Of course, on some real and true level, those things are not enough. As the results on Tuesday will never be fully enough, as nothing in life is ever really enough. And on some other level, they are enough. We sing that they are enough because they are what we have now. And it is out of that sense of enoughness, and that sense of abundance, of the possibility that there will be a next step, that we work and act and continue to live even when all the votes are over. So how will you live in abundance today? When you look at the sun in the morning and the moon at night, will you see them and turn entirely into fire? My hope for you is that your life may feel radically abundant. That everything you have in this moment may somehow be enough. Before our chorus sings for us their musical response to this theme, I'd like to share a note about what they'll be singing. 
Si Somos Americanos is by a Chilean composer, Rolando Alerston, and it's about being American in the broadest, most abundant sense of the word, part of the American continents, north, south, central. The words are about abundance, too. Si somos americanos, seremos buenos vecinos, compartiremos el trigo, seremos buenos hermanos. If we are Americans, we shall be good neighbors, we shall share the wheat, we shall be good brothers. Si somos americanos, seremos una canción. If we are Americans, we shall be one song. Live abundantly. Be one song. <laughs>